everyone. Welcome and thank you for joining me today. I'm your host, Shelly Kino. Hashtag no limits is about limits that that are put upon people, but who have busted through those limits. Ophelia said in Hamlet, we know what we are, but not what we may be. I believe this to be true and that there is no better example than the caterpillar turning into the butterfly. The caterpillar literally dissolves and its cells reform into a butterfly. As the butterfly emerges from the cocoon, it has to struggle in order for its wings to be strong enough to fly. Obviously, this is no easy process, but neither is breaking through limits that society has set upon a person. But just like the caterpillar, when we believe in ourselves, we can accomplish more than others might think. If we have a support system around us to encourage and facilitate our growth, even better. One area where I have seen societal and educational limits, being a former special education teacher, is on children with behaviors and people with anxiety. And that brings me to our guest today, Cassie Lutenegger. I hope I said that right. Yes, you did. <laughs> um, from Adventures in Behavior. Um, welcome, Cassie, and thank you for joining me. Thank you for having me. So Cassie, you are a BCBA. Tell the audience what that is and why you wanted to become a BCBA. Sure, so uh, BCBA stands for Board Certified Behavior Analyst, and it is a um, national certification um, for people who work within the applied behavior analysis field. It is a master's level certification, so um, if you hear BCBA, um, you know that that person has um, a master's degree. Um, it also includes 1,500 plus hours of independent field work, um, and super, that's supervised. Um, so it's, um, you know, a lot of times people describe it as similar to having like a law degree and law certification or something like med school. Um, there's an exam and it's incredibly hard. Um, and so I decided I wanted to, to pursue that um, after some particularly difficult first years in my special education career. I started out in a life skills classroom and then moved into a program for kids with emotional disturbance and really, really struggled. And I just knew that I didn't have enough, even with the master's degree program that I pursued, which was not ABA. Um, it was focused on mental health and behavior disorders. Um, I, I needed more. So I went back and I did a postgraduate certificate. Um, and so, um, you know, it really has transformed my um, teaching practice and um, how I am in the classroom. And um, it's definitely really pushed me for sure. So you are still teaching in the classroom then? Yes, I Well, teach. somewhere, wherever it's happening <laughs> with COVID. <laughs> right, and I don't know yeah. um, right now what, what our district's plan is. Um, Yes, I am a special education teacher full-time, and I work part-time um, doing in-home ABA therapy. Um, and I usually, during the school year, work on Sundays and then pick up more hours during the summer. Okay, great. So I'm glad you explained um, how extensive getting the BCBA is because I have looked into it because I really do love 
digging into those behaviors. Um, I'm a believer that all behavior is some sort of communication. And um, so I really enjoy that. And that seemed to be where in my teaching career, I tended to get the most fulfillment. Um, I enjoyed working with all of my students, but there was just something about changing um, the behaviors that a child was having that were very inappropriate and helping that child understand why they had those behaviors, addressing that issue, and then helping that child find more appropriate ways to exhibit those feelings and you know whatever it was that was causing those behaviors. Um, so do you find that with your students as well that communication, our behavior is communication? Oh, for sure. So, um, you know, all behavior serves a purpose. Um, and there, you know, there's four functions of all behavior, even, um, like us talking right now, there is a function to this. We want to get someone's attention, right? Mm -hmm. So, um, the four functions are attention, um, access. So to a tangible or an activity, um, escape from a person or, um, activity or sound or something like that. Um, and then sensory. And that's, um, you know, something is internally giving you um, that reinforcement. And um, since you brought that up, that makes me think of functional behavioral analysis in um, special education in IEPs and in the individual education plan. Um, do you, with your BCBA now, perform those in other districts, or do you still just do them in your own district? And do you find that it has really helped you to write a really good behavior intervention plan? Yeah, so in Texas, um, usually the district has a behavior specialist or BCBA, um, or the LSSPs are responsible for that. Uh, teachers are not um, allowed to do formal functional behavior assessments, um, which <laughs> just drives me crazy because I can do it. Right, yeah. <laughs> I can see why that would be annoying. <laughs> and, you know, I would be able to turn it around a lot faster than somebody who has so many assessments across the district. That's not a dig at them. It's just right, that, no. you know, I, I'm with those kids all day long. Right. So, um, so. So I don't personally, um, within um, my classroom, get to do it. I would love to consult with other districts, um, but I haven't had the opportunity to do that. Um, so for now, I don't get to do functional behavior assessments in the school, but I hope one day that that will change. Um, I do plan on leaving the classroom at some point to work um, as a behavior specialist or CBA for a school district or for a company that consults. Um, I do have my own company. Um, I'm launching consultation services soon. Um, so we'll just, we'll see where it goes. Awesome. So what sorts of behaviors have you observed? Um, you name it, I've probably <laughs> seen it. <laughs> um, anything from just um, like ripping up a paper down to um, I, um, have been on the receiving end of a couple of chokes, um, and, um, worse. So, um, like I said, you name it, I've probably seen it. 
Um, I've had kids who will um, put in edibles in their mouth, um, which is scary because they could swallow it. Um, and right. that's usually referred to as pica. So if you ever hear someone talking about pica, it's putting in edible objects in their mouth. Um, I've, you know, have kids that have run, um, you know, really dangerous things, um, running off campus. Um, so yeah, it's, it can be quite scary dealing with, um, behaviors. Yeah. Um, and I don't think I've had anyone that, um, eloped, which for those that aren't in the education field, that means that they run um, out of the district or I mean, not about the district out of the building or, or off the playground. I have had students try to escape from being stopped, but not that wasn't like a, you know, it was like, oh, okay, I know I'm in trouble versus an actual elopement is I just need to get out of this situation because it's too much or, or you know, there's other varying reasons. Um, but yeah, in my career, I've I've had um, hitting, kicking, punching, screaming, pulling hair, uh, spitting. Um, I don't know. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> I'm, yeah. I'm probably similar that I've, I've seen quite a lot of behaviors. Um, and unfortunately, I've probably seen just about anything that could be thought of as well. So um, when you have students that have those types of behaviors, how are they received by the rest of the school population, um, students and faculty? Um, often not well, um, <clears throat> especially if they, if the staff and the other um, students have witnessed um, any of the behavior episodes. Because like I said, it can be scary if you don't know how to handle it or if it's happening right. on a really significant level. Mm -hmm. um, and it's, it's hard to repair that, um, those relationships once that has occurred. Um, and so I really would try, I, with my students, really try hard to um, show the school um, teachers, staff, students, that there's, they're not just the behaviors, that there's other really good things about them. Right. Do you find that... Um your kids are often given limits as to, you know, they can't be in this classroom or they can't do this activity or they can't be with this group of kids because whatever, whatever, whatever. Oh, yes. Um, I had a really unfortunate um, experience teaching where my hands were basically tied, no matter my level of ag advocacy, where um, the the people that were in charge felt like um, PE and music, um, the specials should be the last um, last thing that the students had access to when they were reintegrating from a self-contained environment back into gen ed. And um, because it's unstructured. Right. Um, and, you know, I find that a lot of times um, those, those kids that I had, it wasn't... Um, those weren't the areas that they struggled with when they yeah. were, um, because they're fun or, you right. know, there isn't as much of a demand on them as, you know, being, it wasn't just, um, all they had to do was social, you know, manage their social skills. Um, with, 
academic classrooms, gen ed classrooms like math and science, they had to manage social skills and academics. And so um, for sure limits are set on them all the time. And um, it just, I wasn't able to change people's um, opinions. So I ended up leaving. Yeah, that that is a tough situation because I think we can see behind the behavior. Mm-hmm. And so we're not as uncomfortable um, in dealing with a lot of the behaviors as many um, other people are. Have you been able to help a child that was limited because of others and then break through those limits with any particular children or child? Yeah. Um, gosh, it was my third year teaching and I had probably the two most severe, um, severely aggressive students on campus in my classroom. It was just me and the two students and it, we ended up being able to hire a para and brought in a behavior specialist to the campus. He wasn't just for my classroom um, because we did have two self-contained classrooms for behavior and an inclusion program that were separate. And so we had quite a few students um, with um, behavioral challenges on our campus, but um, the team, the three of us, I would say, we were able to take um, those two students from four or five episodes of aggression per day down to it occurring once every two, three weeks. Awesome. Um, and, it, you know, and they, I ended up leaving at the end of that year because we were moving. Um, but I'm sure that they were able to continue to make progress and start to reintegrate back into um, the general education classrooms. Yeah, that's, that's the kind of stuff that I just love because I know that it can happen. It's not guaranteed with everybody, but with the right help, with the right support, so many of our kids with behaviors are able to be reintegrated with their general education peers if they had to be in self-contained classrooms or excluded for whatever amount of time or or subjects. Um, So a lot of kids exhibit their behaviors because of anxiety and Um, As you and I talked about before this started, both of us deal with our own anxiety. Um, How has that affected you? Um, You know, it's, so I'm sure I've always had anxiety. Um, I've only just really in the past several years realized how that, how that, (laughs) what I feel is not normal. Um, because, you know, anxiety is not something you can see. Right. And so, um, you know, it's not normal to excessively worry about every single thing all day long. Um, It's not normal to panic over um, little things like um, technology not working. So um, in the past few months is really when my anxiety has gone to like just a whole new level and I'm sure that COVID stuff has not helped Um, I'm sure that's partially contributing to it but um, you know there's been times where I've canceled um, activities because I'm not in the right frame of mind to go Um, it has made wanting to go back to school extremely difficult um, this fall 
Um, and so it's just, it's just, and it's not like one big thing that I've noticed, um, how, you know, it's impacted me. It's all of the little things. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I, like you have probably had it all of my life. Um, I'm probably a lot older than you. So when I was growing up, anxiety wasn't a word used as a diagnosis. I don't even know that it was even really used in the medical field for anything. Um, So I was, I went through countless doctors and countless tests and I was told I have a nervous, you have a nervous stomach, you have, um, irritable bowel syndrome, you have, um, I don't know, I, I can't, those were the two biggest ones. Yeah. Um, and then finally, 15 years ago, maybe, I was told, you have anxiety. Um, and it was basically because I had a major panic attack mm-hmm. to where I was debilitated and like was freaking out and couldn't move and just didn't know what to do. Um, so what kind of limits, I mean, you mentioned it, that you've had to change your plans several times, um, and you are concerned about going back to school. So how are you getting through? How are you busting through those limits? Yeah. So, um, I think, um, I think everybody would benefit from benefit from going to see um, a a mental health therapist. I do. I agree. I I started seeing one in November and you have to find the right one. Mm -hmm. Um, It's you just, you can't give up because I've, um, I've changed a couple times since then because it wasn't the right fit. Mm -hmm. Um, I had one um, that told me that um, I didn't have depression and that it was, you know, she was like, Oh, I don't think that your psychiatrist is correct that you have anxiety and depression um, when it's very obvious that I was maybe not having depression, but definitely having depression symptoms. Um, and the fact that she couldn't see that, that's a problem. Um, and so um, I do see a therapist. Um, I started seeing a psychiatrist um, and I am taking medication. Um, and <laughs> you guys got a sneak, little sneak peek of um, Finn in my buddy. Oh, um, we adopted him about a month ago ish. Um, and right now he's, um, an at home service dog because he is in training and I'm not ready for public access, but, um, he's my little shadow. And as you can see, um, anytime that I just need, um, a little bit of comfort, a little bit of, um, laughter, he's right there with me. Um, but also he provides some tactile stimulation to help, um, center me. And, um, when I do start to have an anxiety attack. Uh Oh, Oh, there you are. (laughs) We lost you for a second. He will, um, you know, come lay on me and provide, um, deep pressure therapy. Um, and, um, it really helps. So um, he's definitely been a big help, but um, just him by himself would not would not be helping me. It's it's the combination of all three things. Yeah, and that's a very good point. Um, I was very resistant to medication. 
um, for my anxiety for many years, I was less uncomfortable, <laughs> still uncomfortable, but less uncomfortable seeing and talking to a counselor. Um, but the medicine, I just really, really fought for too long. Um, but definitely, yeah, the combination of the therapy as well as the medicine has helped me to be able to function honestly um, and to not be stressed out about every little thing. Um, in fact, I feel like I just, okay, it's it, whatever it is, it's, you know, going to happen and, and we'll get through it. And um, I thought I had kind of been that sort of a person before, but now that I truly am, <laughs> I see how much I was not before right. um, and how much I really did stress and worry about things. So how many of your students do you now relate to maybe better and maybe maybe you're not relating any better because you already knew you were dealing with anxiety all that time anyway but um because you have that understanding because you've got your own limitations well i mean you know it, it's really only been in the last year that it's gotten to the point where it wasn't manageable on my own and um and it's continued to progress and so I actually feel like I understand so much more now what my students um, felt, what they were going through, what their emotional outbursts, um, what some people call it, um, were, you know, how it happens. Mm -hmm. um, you know, I, I 100%, you know, if a kid has anxiety over their schoolwork, and their needs aren't met and unless they're lashing out and aggressive, I can see how anxiety leads to that. I really do. And um, I feel like I'm not anymore working in, um, you know, the emotional disturbance population. I do work with kids who have intellectual disabilities and autism now. Um, but I feel like if I ever went back into that environment, I would understand on a completely new level. Yeah, I, I can definitely agree with you there. Um, in my teaching experience, having had my anxiety diagnosed early on in my teaching career, um, I, I, I've understood, you know, anxiety from a, a kid's perspective a little bit better because I had had it my whole life and it just never was given the right name and was, you know, I was told, oh, she's just making it up. Oh, she just doesn't like to go to school. Oh, she, you know, whatever, whatever, whatever. Um, and to no fault of any of the medical professionals, like I said, it just wasn't a thing that was known then. Um, it's, do you find that it's difficult to get others to understand what it's like to have anxiety? Absolutely. Um, in fact, I had um, a situation with family members just a few weeks ago where they wanted me to explain what it felt like and um, were asking, like, why is it just people my age? And I had to tell them, like, as you know, it's not. It's not just right. people my age. Um, you know, it's more common now to talk about it than it was years ago. And so, um, yeah, I mean, it's not something that's 
still very widely understood. Um, it's definitely, um, it's definitely, we still have a lot, a long way to go before it's understood in the, and accepted in the same way that ADHD is, the same way that autism is become. Yeah, and because it's another one of those invisible disabilities, I think that makes it that much harder. And so many people, and I'm sure you've heard this phrase too, oh, just get over it. Oh, just stop worrying. Oh, calm down. Oh, you know, I, I told you not to worry about this test because it's it's not a big grade or it's not, you're not going to take it for a grade. Right. Those words are not helpful. Right, right. I mean, they might be helpful, but they don't stop the anxiety. No, no. Um, and, and, you know, um, anxiety, I don't know how it is for you, but for me, it manifests within my thought patterns as um, just a vicious spiral. And it, you know, you start with one thing and it spirals all the way down to this like horrible, horrible thing where the chances of it actually happening in that way are like 0.001%, right? (laughs) But you can't stop. You literally cannot stop once you get going. And I don't think people understand that. Right. Yeah. And I, I think I'm getting a little better at slowing the the thoughts down and possibly I think sometimes I have gotten to a point because I've been dealing with this for you know 15 20 years now where I have the therapist and I have the medicine and so I feel like I'm maybe in a in a place further down the road than than what you are um so I do feel like sometimes I am able to capture that first thought and not let the next one and the next one and the next one take me down that path. Mm-hmm. Um, but it, I mean, it's, it, it's not something that you learn quickly. It's not something that is always done. It's not something that is easily done. It definitely takes a lot of effort and a lot of cognition of what oh, sure. you're thinking. Right. Um, and so you can understand how hard it is for our kids. We have fully developed brains and they don't. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, um, as a master IEP coach have been in several meetings now with clients and the educators will say, you know, well, well, I've told them not to worry. That doesn't, that doesn't, that doesn't work, you know? And, um, they're like, well, I don't know. I mean, there's nothing to be, why is he worried or why is she worried? There's I'm like, there isn't a why necessarily you know you can't always just say oh well they're worried because they don't want to get a bad grade no it's a lot of times it's years of negative thoughts negative comments um for myself it was internal i had a a great family but i was just always worried that i was going to disappoint somebody or somebody was going to stop loving me or somebody was you know going to pick on me or um those were just the ones I could identify. I can't even tell you probably, you know, everything that I worried about throughout childhood and adulthood. Um, so it, it's definitely anxiety is, is definitely being limited as far as what people think about and um, what we what we can do for it. So um, I so appreciate you joining me today. Is there anything that you would like to add or anything that you want to say before we wrap up? 
I don't think so. Um, you know, I think we, we touched on a lot of things. I would just um, say, you know, make sure that you're advocating for your kids. Yes. Yes, absolutely. And if you feel like you need help doing that, um, I mean, that is what I do. But <laughs> <laughs> I mean, um, you know, you can follow Cassie. Um, she's Adventures in Behavior on Facebook and Instagram, anywhere else. I'm on Facebook and Instagram, um, Pinterest, although I'm not on there as much. And I do have a blog, adventuresinbehavior.com, Teachers Pay Teachers, Adventures in Behavior. Um, on my blog, I've um, started a new series about ABA in the classroom and how your everyday teacher can implement it. Um, and so I'm, I'm really enjoying that right now. Awesome. Awesome so much. Well, Cassie, again, thank you for joining me today and being part of the hashtag No Limits group. As we said, there's lots of places where you can find Cassie, um, and I am on most of those as well. I'm on Facebook, Instagram, YouTube, LinkedIn. Um, I'm not on Pinterest yet, but that's, I'm afraid if I get on there, I'm never going to get off. I'm just going to be, you know, <laughs> so in, in, enthralled with everything else that's on there that I'll never leave. But um, so, yeah, I, I hope to, to be there as well someday. So if you like this video and you've enjoyed this interview with Cassie, um, please hit the like button. Or if you're watching this on YouTube, like this video with a thumbs up and then also subscribe to this channel. On Friday with Fran this week, um, we will be discussing a 504 plan and an IEP from a parent perspective. Her children have had both. And so she has some interesting insight and perspective into that that me as a former teacher don't have. Um, so that will be here Friday, this Friday, July 20, not 30th, I don't know, whatever this Friday's date is, um, at one o'clock central time. Next week on no Lim hashtag no limits, I will be interviewing someone who went through school with a specific learning disability and now has her own business as a speech language pathologist and has gotten a bill passed in her home state for something called dignified changes. And if you don't know what dignified changes are, you might wanna look that up before joining or just join and you'll find out that next week. So again, I'm Shelly Kino. I'm an educational consultant and master IEP coach. Thank you, Cassie Lutenager for joining me from Adventures in Behavior. And if you have any questions, leave them in the chat. And if I can't answer them, I will be sure to get a hold of Cassie and ask her those questions. Thank you so much, everyone who joined us and will watch this in the replay.